Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew 26, verses 17 through 25. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is, ris- as it is written about him. But woe to that man who bet- betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. Don and Marianne and I have been uh, conscious this morning of a change. And so, I don't know if you've been watching our interaction with Conrad, but we've been talking a little bit louder to him, a little bit slower, because today's his birthday. <laughs> and he's getting older. Anyway, so uh, I know he's, he's ducked out already, and I don't even think he's hearing this, but if you get a chance today, uh, wish him happy birthday. I won't say how old he is, but he's north of 40 and south of 42. Okay? Fair enough. Anyway, just hope it's going to be a great celebration for him as well. Oh, my goodness. The Carter family. When I think of the Carter family, immediately I know about my mother, my father, and the five kids. My brothers, two brothers, my two sisters, myself. And we would have, if we were home, we would be expected to be at the dinner table for breakfast, if they were there for lunch and not at school for lunch, and certainly for dinner. And dinner was at 5 o'clock. Now, if you get us together, the Carter family, uh, being now over half of us are in our 60s, (laughs) but what happens is when you sit that group, and it's so rare, but when you get that group sitting at a table together for dinner or whatever, the same thing happens that happened back when we were growing up in children. And it's, it's a little shocking to uh, the nieces, the nephews, the daughters, the sons, and now grandchildren. It's a little shocking and, and highly amusing that when the, when the dinner begins, what do all these older people do? They extend their hands, they hold hands, they bow their heads, and they all say, Dear Jesus, our hands we hold, our heads we bow for food and drink. We thank you now. 
That's the grace, the table grace. Just for the record, um, the, the story is, and I did track this one time, but I couldn't track it because I, I no longer have the book, but that was out of the little golden books. Remember them? And there was one that said the prayers for children, and it was the table grace there with a change because the original trade table grace said, Dear Jesus, our, heads we, our, hands, our hands we fold, our heads we bow for food and drink. We, but we were holding hands, so we changed it. And that's it, and it's very amusing. Now, I mention that because uh, as, as you think about it, and I, and I thought about when you're sitting around a table like that, how many other hands can you hold? It's a trick, not a trick question. Two. You can't hold hands with, you kind of extend it, it's like a circuit going around, but you actually only hold two hands. I want you to hold on to that. I really want you to hold on to that because there's something in the scripture that helps us to understand what's going on here. I have had just, the, it's, it's been an amazing time in this scripture and I don't, know, I don't know what God's doing in my life. Maybe it's something he's finally getting me to, to see or whatever, but I've been looking at this and the number of revelations about a passage that I'm so familiar with, you're so familiar with, it's just been, it's just been so many about passage, uh, revelations about the passage, revelations about Jesus, all of this, and it's been exciting and surprising to me. And today's passage is, is really the one that it started. And in Matthew's chronology, and you can see the variations in the chronology of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what's happening in this. But in Matthew's chronology, the first thing that's happened is the day before, Passover begins in the evening, so that day ahead of that, Jesus sends out and the disciples come to prepare. So they go out and prepare and then the nighttime comes and the Passover begins. And so we're looking at that moment, this first event in this chronology. Now, there's the preparation part. That's in verses, uh, what, 17 through 19. And then verses 20 to 25 really relates to dinner conversation. Conversation that Jesus initiates around the table. We're going to look at that in a moment. But in this, as you're looking at that, I want you to think first off about the seating plan. Traditionally, believers look kind of, if you look on the window here, that lower three panel, center three panels, that Last Supper, kind of an, an imitation of Da Vinci's, although it's not very accurate. It's not really how Da Vinci had it done. But you look at that, and that's the traditional way we think about it. But we know that they did not sit like that. That's kind of like a posed thing. We know the disciples didn't do it. With the accepted right now, the accepted understanding is they would seat at a table called a triclinium. Triclinium. And in that word, there's that three-sided table and also the clinium, the one that you reclined at. That's why in all these passages and later, Jesus was reclining. And the table was not very high off the floor. And you were basically on some form of a couch, laying on your left side, propped up toward, with your head toward the table, your feet away from the table. And you would serve yourself with your right hand. And they'd sit around this table, and the table was like an inverted U. There were two sides and a cross. And that was the table. 
And the servants would come into the middle of this place and place the, what you were eating and remove it and all of that, and, and everybody else was around it. Now, it, it, it challenges us because we think, well, how t- where's, where's the head of the table? And so the head of the table, we think like this, Jesus in the center, but that wasn't it. The place of the host, which is the most important place, was actually, and I'm going to do this backwards here, so it's, but it's forwards for you. So you have the two sides and the crossover, and down on this side, the host was the second in the, in the seating over here. And there's a specific reason for the fir- a person who would sit on the first and a pe- 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 person who would sit on the third place. So one host, third place, okay? Then the honored guest would then be around. The lowest, least honored would be on this side, and the most honored would be over here. Now that's important for us. The host family, Jesus would be seated there, and they would be reclining there. And immediately seating with Jesus would be considered the close members of the family. For example, like a favored son. And we know from John's Gospel, John 13, that next to Jesus, down on this side of the table, Jesus is in the number two position. The first position, we know it was John, the disciple. John's Gospel talks about this, that when Jesus, when he mentions and he talks about who's going to betray him, this very same passage, but the John's version of it, in this very same passage, he talks about, well, Peter, who apparently is over at the most honored place over on this side, Peter yells over to John, ask him, who is it? And John then leans back, and when you lean back, he's leaning right back on Jesus' chest. That's how close they were. And it's an image that people have, well, we've talked about, people have preached about this, this intimate moment, the beloved disciple and all of that. And so John and Jesus can have this conversation, all of it. Oh, it's just a wonderful thing. Now, the important thing about this is how many people can you physically touch in this setting? Just two others. Everyone else is just a little bit too far. You're hitting somebody in the face or, or, or reaching across in, uh, uh, and the, the center and you couldn't reach him, all of that. So the only people that are there would be the people that Jesus designated these places for. We know John's here. We know J- Jesus is here. The accepted understanding is the third person is Judas. Why do we say that? Well, if you think about the serving bowls, when the servants come into this center thing and they place, they would place various bowls around the table. And out of those places, three people would serve themselves out of one bowl. There'd be another bowl for the next three persons and so on around the table. Probably the, the, the upper table was the one that had the odd number because there would be 13 at the table. But you get the idea. So sharing this, and we know that because what does Jesus said? Literally, if you take this statement literal, the one who dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Well, that puts two people on the chopping block. John, the beloved one. It's like the episode of Chop, right? John, he puts his hand in the bowl with Jesus, 
and whoever's behind him. And we know that was Judas, because Judas betrayed him. And so that's how they think about it. So that's how the arrangement. Now, I, I, you know, I, I want you to capture that because of something else in this one. Judas on, on Jesus' left, John on the right. I want you to imagine what you can see here. This whole seating arrangement, the whole table arrangement, really came from the Roman occupation. And when or how it got adapted for the, for the Passover, it wasn't a family kind of thing. We, we, don't, we don't really know that. We don't have that and all of that. But we know it came from the Romans because this is how the Romans ate. And they actually had specific title of who's sitting next to the host. And the one who sat, who had the position behind the host, remember you're on your left side, so who's behind you, would be one of the most trusted persons you would have. They were named the chief counselor. They would put a person there who you trusted implicitly. Because remember, after that person, the least honored person then begins and it circles around to the most honored. Judas, and we're assuming Jesus has placed them there, has been placed in this position of most trusted. Think about that for a moment. We have a saying, I've got your back. I've got your back. It's a promise that you will protect the person. And it comes from this very thing. It comes from, from military, a trusting position where you don't have to worry about what's happening behind you because I will be there to protect you. It's a position of intimacy because only ones who know you so well would be given that position. Because Jesus is vulnerable when you're sitting at a table and you're reclining on your left hand, on your left side and you're eating, you know, where are you vulnerable for attack? From the rear, if someone wanted to do that. And there's Judas. Hold on to that for a moment. In verse 20, Jesus is now reclining at the table. And while they're eating... While they're eating, he goes into, he begins some conversation for them. Come back to that. When they were preparing in verses 17 to 18, when he, when he tells the disciples what they're to say to wherever this certain person is, his house, Jesus says something along the lines of this, my appointed time is near. Another translation says, my time is at hand. What's he talking about? What, as far as we know about Jesus, what's he talking about? He's going to eat the Passover. He's talking about what he's been talking about all along. He's been talking about it before. He was talking about it in verse 2 when he said to, uh, when we looked at last week, when he, he drops the bomb that, you know, in, 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 in just a few days, the Passover's coming, and I'm going to be crucified. He's talking about 
the moment and a little bit later in that thing when the woman who comes and he she's going to be remembered because he she she took anointed him for his burial and Jesus is still on this thing so in verses 17 and 19 it's t- t- technically it's verse 18 you know, I'm going to celebrate the Passover, my appointed time. My time is here. It's now. And so Jesus is still focused on what is going to happen, the crucifixion. And so he's now sitting there, and he... <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to... It, it's just... It's, the Passover is a celebration. I even say it in the scripture. I'm going to celebrate the Passover. It was a time of great joy. And they're eating the meal and they're celebrating and they're partying. They're having a good time. And what does Jesus say? One of you will betray me. Boy, is that a conversation stopper if I've ever heard one. I mean, what, what? One of you's betraying. It's so, it's so amazing. And 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 and, and honestly, the new, new national version doesn't get it. They were very sad. Well, they were deeply grieved. They were they they were disturbed by this. And again, new international version said and say they they began to say to him one after the other. That's not exactly what it says, but it, it, the the imagery in in the in the Greek is more like this. They began talking at once. Everybody, you don't mean me. You don't mean me. Desperate. You don't mean me. Every one of them, except for one, held his peace. It was like a free-for-all. Each one began to say, and you can see them stumbling. It's not like they went, okay, you and you and then you and then you and then you. Take their turn. No. They're all, it's, 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 it's that moment. And Jesus speaks into that, and that's the, the part of the passage we really look at. The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Someone who is so intimate, and, and if they were clear enough and quick enough, because technically they're all dipping into the bowl together, they're eating together, but if you take a literal understanding of that, well, it was Judas or John. And then Jesus goes on, the Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. We'll come back to that. But woe to that man. It raises a question, and this is where I, I, I really, in, in one sense, in terms of the study and the surprises, I would, it was just so fun to ask these questions. How did Jesus know? You understand that it was immediately before this, the last three verses that we looked at, 14, 15, 16, of the passage last week, that's when Judas went out to do this. How did Jesus know that? I think 
I think we can understand how, how he knew that because, you know, we talk about the Holy Spirit. He's, he's being told this. He's been, it's being revealed. And, and so he drops this brick, and this brick is a revelation. Someone is going, one of you guys are going to betray me, and he drops this brick. When did he know? Because he talks about what's been written. Why did he make it known at that point? What was so important now at that moment that he had to get it out? Those things interested me. Now, from last week, you understand that when I, when, when I, when I think about Jesus, I think about Jesus who has not given up his divinity, but not using his divinity, only using what you and I have been given, his humanity. Being full of the Holy Spirit, being in the power of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. That answers the how. Jesus, full of faith in God, that answers, that answers why he's so calm and collected about that, which is another part of this. But that's it. I just remind you about that. It's his time the Son of Man is to go, it's my burial, it's my crucifixion. That's got to be fresh in their mind. And then he talks about as it's written. And so we have another clue about Jesus, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, and his knowledge, he has a, he has a, a, his, his scriptural knowledge. Wow. It's beyond anything we know. It's exhaustive. It's been that way since Luke chapter 2. Remember, that's as a young boy. He's at a Passover in Jerusalem. He's been there for, for you know, what, 30 years of Passover. He's got to be familiar with everything that goes on. But he's talking with the scribes and the Pharisees, and they are impressed with his knowledge of Scripture. So Jesus is full of the knowledge of Scripture. Now the the Holy Spirit and his knowledge of Scripture has come together. This is going to happen. But look what he says. It's going to happen as it's written. But woe to that man. Now some believe, and at one time I just assumed that he was speaking a curse over that person, over Judas. I don't believe that. I'll tell you why I don't believe it. I don't believe it because of Jesus' heart, his heart after the Father, his love for the disciples. There was a curse. Anybody who was in that position of betraying a friend betraying a loved one, there was an immediate curse that came. But I believe that what Jesus was really saying, there is unimaginable grief coming to that person. And I think that's what concerned him. He knew what Judas was going to bring on himself. He's bringing this down on his own head, and we'll return to that in just just for a brief moment. Woe to that man. It would be better if he had not been born. The grief that he would be bringing down on himself, 
the condemnation, the curse that he's bringing down on himself. You can almost sense the tears of the Father and the tears of Jesus. Now, I, at that point, in putting this together, I started dropping out all the other things. There are things in this passage of Scripture, a debate raging about the sovereign will of God. It is written, sovereign will of God. Versus his next statement, or his last statement, where Jesus says to Judas, you brought this on yourself. You brought this on yourself. We could go there. I leave it to you to go there if you want to think through that, work through that. There's another observation about human nature, which I thought was really important. I'm going to try to capsulize it in this way. We talk about human nature, and we are not talking about true human nature. We talk about human nature as we understand it, as we find it, which has been tainted, corrupted, defaced, uh, defiled by sin, other sins in our own life. And so that human nature we talk about is actually the fallen nature. But when Jesus comes to this, when you're looking at this, when you're understanding who Jesus is, this is the true human nature, the unfallen nature. As God created us to be, the nature God intended us to have, and Jesus is living out of that. So in that debate about human nature, wow, please understand that. We're seeing something very different here than what we would call human nature. We know about human nature because it's part of our, well, it's part of great literature. You couldn't have Shakespeare without a human nature that was fallen. You couldn't have drama. You couldn't have movies. You couldn't have TV. There's always the villain, and the villain is full of schemes and manipulative. He's the puppet master. He's the chess master. And, and all the, and here's the word. I had to look it up to make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Machinations. Machinations, look it up. It's a great word. It's how they do this. And, and that's, that's the essence of all these dramas that, that are there. We look at it. And then there's a hero. And the hero who is generally compromised by some vulnerability, some weakness, some imperfection of his own. We call that human nature. And then there's the victims. And the victims are the ones who are being used by the villain. And the, vic- and the victims sometimes are willing to be used by the victims. So the minions are the ones. And there is much victim but they, they want to be used. And the important things for us is in this place, Jesus is not manipulating Judas. Jesus is not manipulating the disciples to get them to do something. He invites them. He reveals to them. He reveals truth to them, but he's not using them, and he is not being used by them. It's important for us to get that about Jesus in this moment. There's no evidence of a fallen human nature affecting Jesus at all. He's not doing things to turn it to his own advantage. He's just being obedient to the Father. Keep in mind the rest of the account that we're going to go through, that you're going to read, and I've encouraged you to read it, is full of fallen human nature. You will see fallen human nature at its worst. 
it's most manipulative. It's most scheming. It's most, oh, it's despicable. It's most using people like, and, th- and throwing people under the bus like no tomorrow. Most manipulative thing you've ever seen, and you're going to see that. And all through this, Jesus will stand above it all, even as he endures it all. I was thinking about the phrase, as a sheep led to slaughter. And that brings up, well, he is the Lamb of God. And that is true. But nowhere in that, nowhere in that, is he just being a foolish, stupid sheep. He knows what he's doing. He's walking through this because this is the Father. Okay. It goes on and on. You can wrestle with it. I'm saying this about Jesus in this moment because I believe what he wants from us is to get to know him. If we've not been paying attention, we've known he's been, he's been, you know, he's been something otherworldly here. Yeah, we've got that. But get to know him. Spend time in the reading getting to know him in this moment when he's not acting like the world would act, like a fallen human would act. Now, here's my take on this passage. I believe it's in line with Scripture. I believe it's a constant theme that God has from the very beginning to the very end, even to, even to the last chapters of Revelation. The fact that Judas is seating in the, seat, in the seat of trust is Jesus telling Judas, I value you. Why does he make this known? Why now? Judas has already agreed. He's already been paid. And the timeline that Jesus is aware of, this is the last opportunity to call Judas to his senses. The last opportunity to speak of a knowledge and a grief that is ahead of him that the possibility of repentance. As brutal as it is, as disturbing as it is, it's a call of love. And I hear in this Jesus' grief for this guy that historically we despise. And you hear in the back of your mind, the Father is not willing that any should perish. (laughs) So much more. Get to know Jesus. At least engage with my take on this. Wrestle with it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And then put yourself, imagine yourself at the table. Where would Jesus put you at the table? Because he honors you. 
He trusts you. He is entrusting you. He loves you. What grief does he carry for you? What grief does he carry for me? What would he be making known to you? What would he be making known to me right now to bring me to my senses? If I'm off track. I had opportunity this week to go off track. I did. I told Terry earlier this week about, oh, I'm having a rough time with Jesus right now. <laughs> and what he said to me to bring me back on track, what he did for me to bring me back on track, that's this Jesus. That's who you're going to see. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, our gracious Savior, you are truly amazing. And your love for us knows no bounds. And in spite of your focused intent to obey the Father and to suffer for us and to die for us, You were so present, you were there to call even Judas to his senses. You were there and you honored him by putting him in that position of trust. You let us see your grief for him and for us and our actions. Help us to look at you. Help us to see you. Help us to turn our eyes on you. Help us to love you. Help us to receive from you all that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.